to another episode of Exploring Our Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Lorena. I am delighted to have Sophia. Welcome to Exploring Our Podcast. Thank you for having me. So let's be here. Of course. Okay, so on today's episode, we will be talking about the case study of Cezanne confuses his frames. Sophia, do you want to say what the case study is about? Sure. So today we're kind of diving into the 19th century and French art. So more specifically, um, we're dealing with Ambrose Ballard. So yeah. Ambrose Ballard is like a 19th century art dealer and in his memoirs, yeah, like, and he wrote in his memoirs that he put a Cezanne uh, nude painting into a, like an old frame, but the old frame had like a, a title of another campus, Diana and Ateon. Yeah. Um, and that afterwards agreed to like loan another one of Cezanne's paintings to an exhibition. And he had already sold that painting. He had, he had agreed to sell um, uh, Saint, the temptation of Saint Anthony to an, ex an exhibition, but he already had sold it to another exhibition. So he sent the the switched painting of Diana and Actaeon and the female nude yeah. instead. And the praise, the, the praise, the press basically was just like, "Oh wow, like this is so cool, like Diana and her virgins," and they had basically like totally misinterpreted it as something else. Um, so yeah, that's our study. Well, thank you for that. Um, I'm gonna go and also talk about Villard. Um, also to the story to Suzanne, who was quite indifferent saying that he had no particular subject in mind at all and was just trying to render certain kinds of movements. Was he right in his unconcern? We will come back to this question, guys, so don't worry. So the questions we are really trying to figure out here is, did the press maybe made a mistake? Did Ballard made the mistake? Are titles a help or a hindrance in interpreting art? Um, we're gonna cover all these questions in today's episode, but before we start with our case study, we each had some questions to research to just get a better understanding of the background and help us to like get to know the case study better. So we're going to start with Sophia. Would you like to tell everyone in summary of the things you researched about? Like what did you find about the Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, my research is a lot of background knowledge on the actual like how people lived in the 19th century mm -hmm. um, in France and the art business itself. So during that era, the, it was the 1800s. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it was the 1800s. So that time it was a lot of like industrialization, mm -hmm. um, urbanization. So like growing cities, a lot of more technology and that allowed for a growing middle class. So a lot of people had more money to invest in and spend in art. Um, and so that basically 
resulted in, you know, a lot of dealers and galleries being established, um, you know, them having relationships with each other. And then, and then as the, as the industry grew, they, they had, they um, began to have relationships with global markets. So like exhibitions, artists and more galleries around the world even sounds pretty cool. Um, this also paved the way for a lot of like more art critics and journals, um, you know, critiquing works and stuff like that. A lot of patronage collectors. Um, so like the Rothschild family was like a huge um, influence in giving, you know, artists a living for them to, you know, mm -hmm. be able to have financial stability and stuff like that. Um, and then that's a lot of the business aspect. And the actual um, French art um, kind of world, there's a lot, there's a bunch of styles that came up in that time. So one of them was like academics, the academic style, which is like the conservative kind of neoclassic, like the one that is taught in art school type of art. Mm -hmm. um, it has like specific rules and standards set by the French Academy of Fine Arts, which is like, like the kind of people that you look to when you're like, what is good art, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then the counter to that style, which also came up, so like the rebellion type of thing was like romanticism. So that was basically like the opposite. So like powerful emotions and individual expression, experience, imagination, nature, you know, emo stuff, basically. It's funny. Um, uh, there was also a lot of like realism, um, impressionism in that time. Impressionism is, is kind of easy to spot because of it's, you know, uh, and the actual uh, works there there's a lot of like small visible brush strokes yeah. that depict you know like natural light and color stuff like that um and there were also some groups of artists that kind of came together to um kind of send out like a, a, a sometimes the messages were political sometimes the messages were just uh, countering the French uh, Academy of Art, of Fine Arts in, in that time. So some of them were the Barbizon School, which was just like, just like a group of landscape painters who, they were kind of chill. They they just wanted to uh, paint directly some nature and, you know, um, do the little nature paintings and stuff like that. So they were kind of like a chill group. A more intense group was um, the pro raphaelite Brotherhood. Yeah. Uh, pro raphaelite Brotherhood, which is like a group of English artists who were like so passionate um, bringing back like the Renaissance style, like um, drawing like themes from like mythology and literature and, and, and stuff like that. So that was, that, that was like my, a little bubble of, my research that I did for um, French art in the 19th century. So, yeah. I liked how you just combined everything you were 
researching about because that's great research that you did. Thank you so much. Okay, so um, do you want to talk about this next step that we have? Okay, so in the case study, um, it mentions that Bullard switched the paintings into the Diana and Actaeon frame, yeah. and he also like switched those for the St. Anthony painting. So like, uh, do you want to talk about who Diana, Actaeon, and St. Anthony were? So we get a little bit of like more background into like what the paintings were actually like about and stuff like that. Sure, okay. Um... We're going to start first with Diana and Ecteon. So for those listening, we're going to go back to the Roman mythology um, where we have this goddess named Diana. And then we also have this legendary Greek hunter named Ecteon. Now, this story of Diana and Ecteon is a famous myth and basically revolves around the unfortunate fate of Ecteon after he accidentally stumbles upon Diana while she was bathing. Now, Diana obviously got angered by um, his intrusion and transformed him into a stag, which is, which if someone, if some of you guys don't know what that is, because I didn't know what that meant, it's basically just a male deer, as simple as that. Um, and she did that as his punishment. So, that's great for her. He deserves it. Um, As she should, yes. She should. Um, knowing a little bit about the research um, connected, we see um, that talking about Diana bathing, it really connects with the myth of Diana and Acteon. And the Diana bathing is a painting. So that's where it connects. Now we're gonna move to St. Anthony. And this is the part where I'm gonna give a little brief summary just in case there's some of you guys out there that just don't know who St. Anthony is and what his connection to this episode is. So Cezanne's Temptation of St. Anthony is a painting by Paul Cezanne that depicts a pivotal moment in the life of St. Anthony, who if you guys don't know who he was, he was an influential Christian saint who lived in the 3rd and 4th century AD. He is renowned for his devotion to prayer um, and his practice of extreme self-discipline and his battles against demonic temptations during his time as a desert hermit. So we see the connection there. We see how these three people connect to the case that we have and that we're going to talk about in this episode today. That gave a lot of insight. You know, I think now I, we can understand like more like, oh, who are these paintings about? Like people yeah. in them. It's always good to just like know the background of like things you're just gonna learn about. Yeah, especially for our listeners, you know, maybe, you know, they're not that familiar with like mythology and stuff like that. So that was good. Um, So now I wanted to ask, you know, can we get to know a little more about, you know, the actual artists and dealers? So, like, who were really Ambroise Bollard and who was Paul Cezanne, for those who don't know? Okay, um, I would love to talk about them. 
it's basically just this whole case just revolves around them. So we're going to start with Ambroise. Now, he was basically this great French art dealer. And other than that, he was also a great publisher, too, who left a big mark on the art world, which we can see that till this day we talk about him as we're doing now. So it's pretty huge mark. Um, he played such a crucial role in promoting the works of influential painters such as Paul Cézanne, who we are talking about, and Pablo Picasso, mm. which everyone should probably heard of him. Do you know him, Sofia? You know what? Actually, I have Pablo Picasso. I don't think I've ever heard oh. such a name. It's so I'm you know I'm just I don't think I've ever really been in that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No one knows about him. No one knows about him. Um. We're going to leave that for the next episode, maybe. We can talk about him. <laughs> so now, impressive. <laughs> now um, I'm going to keep it short, and I'm going to talk about Paul Cézanne. Um, He was basically this French artist who became associated with the Impressionist movement. He had um, a very big passion for art burned brightly within him. And till now, we can still see him as someone who continues to shape the world. Uh, two great artists that we get to see today in these cases and they're basically the whole reason why this is a case but yeah I hope this small little like research help any of you guys out there today uh, we're gonna move and go straight to Understanding the questions and connect them to the case study, we can start on the questions more about the whole situation and what our take is on it. Okay. So let's start with you, Sophie. Would you like to say your take on these questions? Um, would you like to answer, yeah. did the press make a big mistake or was it Ballard? So... The question is, did Ballard or the press make a mistake? Mm -hmm. So obviously this is, this is this is the 1800s. There's um, not that much technology. Well, there's technology, but it's not like it's, internet, yeah. computers and stuff like that. So I assume that Ambrose Ballard had a pretty big job in keeping, uh, you know, track of like all these paintings and all these collections and, and pieces. Um, so I, I, I assume that it would be pretty hard, you know, I assume that it's, it's possible for him to just like switch frames without not even knowing, you know, maybe he's like in a rush or something and he doesn't really have the time to like be looking for, oh, like this is the right frame. Like, no, I mean, he's, he's got to keep up with the demand. He's got to keep up with buyers and collectors and artists all at the same time, you know? So it makes sense for him to switch the paintings. Um, if this was on purpose, though, mm -hmm. because what I like to think is that, yeah, he did um, switch them like by accident, but then when he finally noticed, he finally like noticed like, oh, um, that he switched them. I, I like to think that he was like, oh, I switched them, but maybe this will kind of like 
be a fun little game to see how the press will react to it. See how um, Sasan himself will react to it. Maybe I think he maybe kind of thought like like a like had like a silly silly little kind of game in his head. Like yeah, you know I don't know if this makes sense, but like it does. It does, like, and I'm sure everyone <laughs> who's listening now understands it. Yeah, kind of like being conscious of it and finding it kind of funny like oh i switched them maybe how will this kind of affect how art is looked at will he will Sasan even care about this you know so i think he did make a mistake in that sense like maybe he did kind of switch them and for um the press you know the press is the press you know they have they're just reacting based off what's given to them. So I don't think that they had any say in like, oh, like, is this the right painting? Like, no, the press is just doing their job, you know? So, yeah, I think I think that's my kind of take on it. Um, what do you think? I want to I want to hear your your opinions about it and your take. Yeah, of course. Um, before I talk about mines, um, I like the way you answered it. This question will probably have many views on it and they will all be different, but I like the way that you worded yours. It was good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sometimes I can like ramble on and on. And <laughs> no, yeah. you're, that's great. Okay. So I'm not going to add much, but I'm going to give a little, little thing on it. Um, in the given scenario, the press and Villard could be seen as making mistakes in their interpretations and handling of the artwork. I say this since like the press made a mistake by misinterpreting the artwork based on its title, uh, like shifting it from praising the noble qualities of Diana to misinterpretate interpreting the intentions of the painting as a depiction of the Satan's daughter. Now, Villard also made a mistake by sending the wrong painting. Um, the painting was Diana and Acteon. Instead, Cezanne's Temptation of St. Anthony, which is a huge mistake if you ask me. Um, and we're going to go back to titles. Titles are really the whole reason this case happened. Um, they're very important. They provide right. us with an understanding when we see paintings or really anything. Um, however, in this case that we are talking about, the misleading title led us to misinterpretation and shifting the perception of the artwork. Um, it's a lot to say, but it makes sense, honestly. Like the press and Villard made mistakes in interpreting and handling artworks and titles um and they both have a positive and a negative impacts on interpreting art depending on the specific context Cezanne's concern suggests that he maybe like valued artistic expression and the viewer's interpretation more than adhering to specific subject matters or titles really yeah like it all comes back to just like, does it even really matter? Because in the end, Sasan just didn't care yeah. that much. He just was he just was like, Oh, I made this piece 
but I'm open to like how people interpret it. Like he didn't really care that he switched the paintings because people still saw the painting, they liked it, and they were just like, oh, it's this. And and he didn't really say that's right or that's wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's so cool. so yeah, it all just comes it's like a paradox. It all just comes back around to like, wait, but he didn't really care. So what yes of course um so now that these responses that you gave and that i gave they were pretty great and i hope that anyone who's like listening to this really understands that we are what we are saying um so let's go back and bring up the question that i first answered at the beginning and maybe give some feedback about it and how I said it before, but I'm going to say it again, just in case, you know, many of you guys forgot. Ballard told the story to Cezanne, who was quite indifferent, saying that he had no particular subject in mind and um, at all, and was just saying to, like, maybe render certain kinds of movements. Was he right in his unconcern? I, I kind of touched back on this already, mm-hmm. but... Again, Sasan, he he never said it was right or wrong. Yeah. He, you know, just react, just was like, oh, well, that's that, you know? Um, yeah. He painted, he, he, he painted these female nude paintings. And, you know, I think that kind of reflects his attitude on, on, on being one of those artists and back then who just, you know, was quite relaxed he he painted from you know yeah real life but he um yeah like, <laughs> you know you're good I understand. i'm sure anyone who's watching and hearing us understand it too yeah okay um is that all you want to say yeah okay. yeah that's good good i think this is like where we come to an end i think this episode is going to be great and those listeners out there get a really good idea into this case and maybe go further maybe re- doing your research actually helps more um but we've covered a lot here what do you think i think that's i think that's good i, I really enjoyed being here i enjoyed having this conversation uh mm-hmm. with you so mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us so much today, Sophia. I appreciate it. This concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Subscribe to Exploring Art Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon. And remember to stay curious. <laughs>